Well, good morning, everybody. Aren't you glad we all have different kinds of gifts? There are some people that have the gift of cooking, and then there are people like me who have the gift of eating. Anybody else have the gift of eating here? <laughs> well, you get to use that gift uh, for the, with the bake sale, and I am a I have been a, like, oh, I don't know, 45-year consumer of my wife Sue's chocolate chip cookies. They are awesome. Anyway, everything's going to be awesome, and I encourage you to be part of that. I am John, along with Sue. We are, have the privilege of being the founding pastors here at River Heights, and I am so glad you joined us today, uh, both online and in person here. We're in the third week of our series on women of faith. And Justin kicked that series off with a powerful message about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and how she said yes to God's amazing plan for her life. And the Holy Spirit gave her the power to love and teach and raise Jesus, uh, much of that time as a single mom. And Jeff continued by telling us the captivating story of Esther, who stepped up and stepped out of her comfort zone to serve God's purpose in her time. Her courageous step of faith helped rescue the Jews from destruction so that Jesus could come from the Jewish nation and be our Messiah. Now, my faith has been formed and strengthened by hearing the stories of people like these amazing women and like many other people throughout church history and by hearing your stories. You know, Paul says in Romans 10, Faith comes by hearing the good news of Jesus. How do we hear the good news of Jesus? I think we can hear that good news in many ways. Hopefully you'll hear good news this morning as I preach and teach. But we can hear good news as we read the Bible personally and in groups. And we can hear good news as we share our stories of what Jesus is doing in our lives. I want to encourage you, your story is more powerful than you think. And I urge you to share it everywhere you go with everyone you can. Now, it's, it's helpful to have like a maybe a two-minute version, five-minute version, 15-minute version, 20-minute version. I'm really good at the 20-minute version. I'm trying to get better at the two-minute version of my story. But think about that. And I, I just, I'm, really, I'm, I'm totally serious here. I'm playing a little bit, but I'm totally serious. God draws people to himself through your story and through the story of Jesus. All right, so today I want us to explore the story of Priscilla, who along with her husband Aquila were dear friends and faithful co-workers with the Apostle Paul. I think they're a great example of a married couple who loved and served the church everywhere they went. In fact, they're probably the most mentioned married couple in the New Testament. We see them help begin and establish churches as they move from place to place, from Rome to Corinth to Ephesus, back to Rome 14 years later, and then ultimately back to Ephesus again to help Timothy. They lived out Jesus' command in Matthew 28, and you'll see it on the screen, to go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then instruct them in the practice of all that I've commanded you. And I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Priscilla and Aquila are a great example of people who lived this out together. 
And I think we can learn a lot from them because this is the, we have the same wonderful privilege and responsibility uh, with, from God. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for all the people who have helped us come to know and follow you. Lord, I thank you for all of, the, all of the workers that are working with kids downstairs in the lower level right now and uh, how things are being formed and, and put into the lives of those children downstairs and like also in the nursery. Thank you for all the people you've used in our lives. And Lord, we just like, want to make put ourselves at your service that you could work in and through us to help more and more people than we can imagine come to love you, love each other, and change the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So who was Priscilla? We get a glimpse of Priscilla and Aquila's character and commitment as we hear Paul describe them to the Roman believers in Romans 16. Here it is on the screen. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers. I'm going to talk to you about what that phrase means to Paul a little later. My co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus, in fact, they once risked their lives for me. That's probably in the riot that took place in Ephesus. They protected Paul and helped him get out of Ephesus alive. I'm thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also, give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Isn't this an amazing tribute? Paul and all the Gentile churches were thankful to Priscilla and Aquila. Wouldn't it be wonderful if like everybody you ever heard of was really thankful for your life? I'm, I'm quite sure that they all are, or maybe even a, a, the great majority of them, right? I, I think that's probably true of my life, the great majority. Uh, what did they do that was so helpful? As I read their story, I noticed three things that I want to draw to your attention. Everywhere they went, they welcomed people into their homes and into their hearts. Everywhere they went, they worked hard and served Jesus and others through their job, through their work. And everywhere they went, they explained the teachings of Jesus clearly and persuasively so that others could grow in their relationship with God. So, using W as a memory device here, they welcomed, they worked, and they witnessed. I had to work so hard to get a third W there, and it almost works, but anyway. All right, they welcomed, they worked, and they witnessed the story of Jesus everywhere they went to everyone they could. So Luke, Luke is a historian, and so he introduces us to Priscilla and Aquila in Acts 18. He says this, Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers, just as he was. Now, uh, this, in preparation for this, this last week or so, I read a historical novel written by a wonderful New Testament scholar named Ben Witherington III. Surprise! The title of it is Priscilla. <laughs> it's all about Priscilla's life. And if you like historical fiction at all, it is a really great read. And because he's a well-respected New Testament scholar, the historical details are solid. Okay? Uh, so he says things like this. He says, Priscilla looks back on her. He writes the book from Priscilla as an 80-year-old woman talking to her adopted daughter, Julia. We don't know if those things actually happen, but that's the, that's the way the story goes. And, he's, and she's telling her daughter about 
all she's participated in in the early church. And her journey has taken her to Ephesus, Corinth, and Rome, and she's partnered with Paul and others along the way. All right. He goes on. Priscilla was most likely a God-fearing Gentile, a freed woman, and a Roman citizen. She probably had higher status than Aquila, her husband, had. And she came to faith in Christ somewhere and, was, and potentially was at the festival of Pentecost and experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit with the rest. And that is likely where she met Aquila, who was Jewish from Pontus, and they got married. And they had a significant role in beginning the church in Rome. Now, when they were expelled from Rome, they went to Corinth because Corinth was the nearest major city, third largest in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. And so as refugees, that's a whole story in itself, Priscilla and Aquila had settled there probably 10 years before Paul arrived. Now, Corinth was a good place for Priscilla and Aquila to establish a thriving business making leather products because the Roman government required leather tents for housing its military bases all over the empire. Uh, uh, Canvas tents would not hold up in the weather in, that, in the northern part of the Roman Empire, so they wanted leather. Plus, their soldiers needed leather sandals and shields and helmets. And the emperor wanted leather awnings in the Colosseum to shade him from the sun while he watched the gladiators kill each other. In fact, he wanted them red on the outside and blue with stars on the inside so he could pretend he was looking up at the night sky as people were being stabbed to death. Oh, he was a great Great guy. Anyway, because of all that, the market was huge for leather products. So Priscilla and Aquila were able to, to, to develop a really thriving business. And they supported not only themselves, but they employed many people. Paul was one of them. And that helped Paul to support himself and his companions. Paul, Paul and Priscilla and Aquila were very fruitful in their business work and in their work of forming new communities of disciples. Now, Luke continues the story. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue. So Paul would work all during the week making leather products, and on the weekend, on the Sabbath, he'd come and he'd preach, trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. Now, after Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time preaching the word. How did that work? Well, they probably brought money, likely from the church in Philippi, because Paul says later, you supported me when no other church did. So they probably brought resources so Paul didn't have to make leather products, he could spend 100% of his time preaching, which he did. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, your blood is on your own heads. I'm innocent. That sounds a little harsh, but what he's saying is, all right, you made a choice, you get the consequences. You all know that, right? We have freedom to make choices, but we don't determine the consequences, do we? So, he's basically saying, I did my job. Now, like, it's up to you. Then he left and he went to the home of Titius Justus, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Isn't God great? He gets, kind of gets thrown out of one place, but right next door there's a place where he can continue his work. And Crispus, who was the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. God was at work in Corinth. And many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid. Why do you think God would need to say that to Paul? Any like really smart Bible scholars have an idea? I'll give you a hint. He was probably afraid. 
<laughs> the Apostle Paul afraid? Like, he's a hard charger. He's conquering the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. But Paul was human, and he had been rejected a lot. He'd been beaten, like it says, three times with rods. He'd been cast out into the Mediterranean Sea for days and nights. He had suffered a lot. And so he was being, so when again, if you've, those of you that have experienced trauma and abuse, and we've all experienced some level of trauma these last couple of years, when, th- when you get hit again, it can bring all of that pain back up. So God is wanting to encourage Paul, don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent, I'm with you, no one will attack and harm you, many people in this city belong to me. So he stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. Can I encourage you that... Faith is not the absence of fear. You don't have to like, as we're try to surgically remove every bit of anxiety and fear in order to be a faithful person. I tried that for a number of years. It does not work. I couldn't do it. What faith is, is faith means you're stepping through your fear by the power and the grace of God and the encouragement of others. And that's really how the only way I've ever gotten over fear is stepping through it to do what God's called me to do by his mercy and grace. If you struggle with like fear of like living out what God wants you to do, we would love to pray for you at the close of this service today. What can we learn from this snapshot of Priscilla and Aquila's life? Two things here. One, they welcomed Paul into their home. He lived with them for that 18 months and into their hearts. And they became dear friends and co-workers. And I encourage you, welcoming others into your lives It can be having them over for a meal. It can be going out to coffee with them, going to a restaurant with them, going to a park. Welcoming others is one of the primary ways Jesus forms his church. So many people have experienced rejection of one kind or another. Other rejection, self-rejection. Welcoming is much more powerful than we probably think. This is why in the Bible it says leaders are to be given to hospitality. They're always to lean that way because it is so powerful in God's hands. I encourage you, find ways to do that with others. Jesus came to form a new family. It's one of the ways he does that as we welcome each other. Two, they worked hard and they served Jesus and others through their business. Priscilla and Aquila are great examples of people who loved Jesus and did great work. They provided for their family, and they helped many other people get jobs and provide for their family. And I'm sure, quite sure they were generous with their resources. And in John 5, Jesus says, my father's always working, and I'm working. You know, God is the ultimate great worker, and he wants to work in your life and through your life and work, whether you're getting paid for your work right now, uh, that he wants to do that, or whether you're a volunteer and not getting paid, like me. That's great. You know, now, I have been paid for many years, so I'm glad, I'm glad for both, you know, paid work and unpaid work. Uh, so I ran a bookstore for nine years, five years in Wyzetta, four years in Burnsville, and uh, I remember learning how to do that job. I wasn't very good at it in the beginning. I was scared. I thought, ah, and I started during a recession. That's a great time to start a retail, be in a retail business. And I remember praying. I said, God, how in the world is this going to be successful? How am I going to provide for my family? And, and some of you heard this story, but God spoke to me in my thoughts. If you love everyone who comes through the door, every customer, and if you love and train your staff really well, I'll send you a never-ending stream of customers. To which I responded, 
do I have to hug them all? <laughs> to which God said, no, nah, they wouldn't like that any more than you do. So just serve them. Find ways to serve them. And I did, and God blessed. One day I was at work, and, and I felt like God said, hey, good morning, John. And I was there early. I just did that. I was there before my staff came to try to get ready. And I, I said, like, you're here? He said, oh, I'm always here before you get here. Because I love you, and I want to be present in your life. Can I just encourage you? God is always ahead of you. You know, whatever, wherever your life is, he's ahead of you. He's also behind you. He's beside you. He's over you. He's under you. Because he loves you. This is a big deal to me because God has really used work to shape my life and the lives of others. And I just got to say to you, we must find a way to experience the presence and goodness and wisdom of God in our work because it is such a huge part of our life. Again, I'm talking about all work, paid, unpaid. If we can't seem to connect with God in our work, I would just say to you, we're not going to connect to him very much. If you're only going to connect to him in a few hours on Sunday morning, I mean, that's good, but that's not what he intends. He intends to be present in your whole life. All right. What happens next for Priscilla and Aquila and God's plan? Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that. Then he said goodbye to the brothers and sisters, and he went on to nearby Concrea. He shaved his head according to a Jewish custom, making, marking the end of a vow, and then he set sail for Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. They were, so, they were such dear friends. They were so valuable. He said, you know, we've got to go other places to share this good news. Priscilla and Aquila picked up and went. Everywhere they went, they loved and served the church. Everywhere they went, they welcomed people into their homes and hearts. Everywhere they went, they worked hard and served Jesus through their jobs. Everywhere they went, they explained the teachings of Jesus so others could connect to Jesus. They stopped first at the port of Ephesus where Paul left the others behind. That means he left Priscilla and Aquila there. While he was there, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. They asked him to stay longer. He declined. As he left, he said, I'll come back later, God willing. And then he set sail from Ephesus. The next stop was the port of Caesarea, and there he went and visited the church in Jerusalem, then back to Antioch, then Galatia, then Phrygia. Now, meanwhile, in Ephesus, you know, Paul so trusted Priscilla and Aquila that they did the groundwork to establish the church in Ephesus. Now, you can read the, the, the further story in Acts 19 about the explosive awakening of the Holy Spirit that happened in Ephesus. But Priscilla and Aquila, they did the groundwork. They were there before Paul got there. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He'd been taught the way of the Lord. He taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and accuracy. Could I encourage you? Now, enthusiasm, there may be a, like a continuum. Some of you are highly enthusiastic. Pete Benedict is one of the highly enthusiastic people I know. Some of you might have a little bit more muted enthusiasm. Uh, that has been my life. Uh, some of you say, what? Uh, it has been my life, but I have been growing in enthusiasm for 52 years. So, one little story. So my, I have a, had a really good friend. Lived in Pri we lived in Prior Lake, and our garage door, it was a mess. And we didn't really have the money to fix it. We just kept trying to make it work. Good, and one of my friends said, uh, I, uh, I bought you a new garage door, and it's being installed 
in two days. I said, what? You didn't have to do that. He was quite a big guy, about 6'4", 260. He said, of course I didn't have to do it. You couldn't make me do it. You're not big enough. I wanted to do it because I love you. Okay. And so it gets installed, and he comes over the next day to see it. And he says, and he was a big guy. He was full of enthusiasm. How do you like your garage door? And I said, it's great. I love it. He said, are you happy about it? I said, yeah. He said, well, you should tell your face. <laughs> I said, sorry, this is like how my face looks when I'm happy. He said, we got to work on that. <laughs> and he prayed and encouraged me. Well, I'm a much more enthusiastic person now than I was then. And you can be too. Enthusiasm literally means to be filled with God. I'm not talking about faking it. I'm not trying to be, be somebody you're not. But I'm just trying, talking about being the best person you can be. Apollos had an enthusiastic spirit, and he taught with accuracy, but he only knew about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside, and they explained the way of God even more accurately. Don't you love Priscilla and Aquila? They were kind people. And they were wise. They didn't correct Apollos publicly. They didn't stand up and say, excuse me, you're only telling him half the story. They didn't do that. They took him aside probably to their house with a conversation, with some food, and said, hey, this is the, like the rest of the story. And to, so to their credit, and to Apollos' credit, he listened. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Speaking and listening are both really important things to do in life, right? <laughs> Those of you that love speaking, do you love listening just as much? Uh, I'm working on listening, too, along with many other things. <laughs> uh, we all need people to help us understand more about Jesus, don't we? And, you know, and we can be those kind of people in other people's lives, too. I thank God for all the people who have helped me understand more about Jesus, and many of them are sitting in this room. Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia, that's where Corinth is, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus, they encouraged him to go. And they wrote to the believers in Achaia, asking him, welcome him. They were doing the kind of thing Priscilla and Aquila, they welcomed people and they wanted others to welcome them. When he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who by God's grace believed. And he refuted the Jews with powerful arguments and public debate. Using the scriptures, he explained to them, Jesus was the Messiah. Now, Priscilla and Aquila had this like, wonderful impact on Paul's life and on Apollos' life. And both of their ministries flourished because of God's grace on their lives and the encouragement of Priscilla and Aquila. Together, they explained the teachings of Jesus more clearly to Apollos, so that he could grow in his relationship with God. Now, Priscilla likely took the lead here. Now, another of my favorite Bible teachers, a guy named Dr. Scott McKnight, New Testament professor at Northern Seminary, he has a wonderful article, What Did Women Do in the Bible? You can Google it, it's worth reading. So he highlights the ministry of Priscilla and Aquila. This husband and wife, instead of fighting for power with one another, they worked together in powerful ways for the gospel. The mutuality theme is clearly present in their marriage relationship. Here are some details that deserve a careful look. Priscilla's name is almost always given first four of the six times that they're referred to in the Bible. She's mentioned first. Now, 
listing a woman's name first wasn't impossible in the ancient world, but it was unusual. They explained to the scholar Apollos the way of God more adequately. Priscilla knew her theology and her Bible. She knew it so well that she could lead Apollos from a John the Baptist faith to a Jesus faith. This husband-wife ministry team taught Apollos so well that he was able, two verses later, to refute non-Messianic Jews in public debate by opening up the scriptures. Clearly, Priscilla was a theological teacher. This is why Priscilla and Aquila were called Paul's co-workers in Romans 16.3. Co-worker was Paul's special term for his associates in church ministries. And what did they do? They, including Priscilla, they shared with Paul in being called by God, in preaching the gospel, in carrying on pastoral work with churches, and in risking their lives for their faith. Priscilla and Aquila lived an amazingly fruitful life. Now, I am so grateful for all the women who have served so faithfully in our entire history at River Heights and are serving so faithfully right now. My wife Sue and I planted this church together along with a team of 20 adults and 20 children. Children have always been in our hearts and have always been significant in this ministry going forward. Truth be told, River Heights started in a women's Bible study led by Sue at Rolling Meadows here in Invergrove. River Heights is full of good and gifted women who lead worship, prayer, life groups, outreach, compassion ministry, youth and children's ministry, mission trips to Mexico, and who serve on our preaching team. Gifted women like Gay Naren, Becca Bunger, Janet Archibald, Martha Duran, Lisa Mandel, Deanna Green serve so faithfully on our pastoral staff and on our church council. Could we say thank you just right now to all the women who serve so well at River Heights and who have? Way to go. Now, I understand that, guys, I'm so thankful for all of your service too. But this is a sermon series on women of faith. So that's, that's why we're emphasizing, all right? Now, Sue and I have always worked together in ministry. It's been a learning process for both of us, um, maybe more for me, uh, because we have different leadership styles and perspectives, which is a good thing. Uh, Sue and I have a strategy that, like leading a small group, we, usually, we always sit across so we can see each other's eyes because, like, we, we help each other lead. Like, if Sue senses that... Then the rare, the very rare, the extremely rare circumstance that I'm talking too much, uh, she gives me little clues, like, or uh, somebody else should talk, or if I don't get either of those clues, I get this one. I know what that means, <laughs> but it's wonderful. Our groups do so much better uh, when we work well together. Sue and I have been so much more fruitful together. That's one of the things that drew us together as a couple. We knew we were going to be better together in life and ministry than either of us would ever be alone. Our practice has always been rooted in a partnership model. But it still took me a while to understand how that worked biblically and theologically. Sarah Sumner has written a wonderful book, Men and Women in the Church. That has helped deepen and broaden my understanding of men and women in leadership in Scripture. Conversations with Sue, good friends like Rich Nathan of Indian Columbus, seeing God at work through Sue, through our wonderful friend Jill Hogan, Gay Naren, and so many, many other women at River Heights throughout the and throughout the vineyard persuaded me to like change my views on women in leadership. I came from a very conservative, charismatic culture where kind of crassly said would be this: men did all the leading and women did almost all the work. That's a little bit of an overstatement, but not too much. 
I had a long way to go, and I'm grateful for God. So, way back in 2005 of May, we were about to ordain Sue as a pastor, and I went for a walk in my neighborhood and was talking to God about it. And God spoke to me in my thoughts. Are you ready to ordain Sue as a pastor yet? I said, I am. And God said, good. I've been ready for a long time. And I cried. I cried, one, because I, I'm often so such a slow learner. So slow on the uptake. And two, that God had been patient with me. You're like, you're waiting on me. You're God. He said, yeah, but I've called you and Sue to lead this together, and you need to lead the way here. And it was wonderful when we ordained Sue, and then I think in some ways that opened the door for so much more of God's grace and ministry at River Heights. And I'm grateful, grateful. My journey paralleled the journey of the vineyard at large. Thankfully now in the vineyard movement, Women can serve in any leadership position that God has called them to, gifted them for, and confirmed, including the national director. One great day. I'm so thankful for that. You know, we can all learn, can't we? I encourage you, be, make a commitment to be a lifelong learner. That will enable you to be also a really good teacher and encourager of others. Where does God's journey for Priscilla and Aquila take them next? Well, they go back to Rome. And surprise, they open their home again to a church. And they help, they use their hospitality and their teaching gifts to bring unity between the Jewish and the Gentile believers. And then finally, we see them returning back to Ephesus because Timothy needed some help with the church there. What can we learn from the lives of this wonderful couple, Priscilla and Aquila? One, you can leave a great legacy. I'm in that, Sue and I are in the age range where we're thinking legacy now. What are we leaving? Our kids, our grandkids, our friends, River Heights. But you need to start thinking about that now. And what kind of person do you want to be? What kind of an impact do you want to leave on the world? No matter, even the youngest ones here, what kind of an impact do you want to leave on the world? God wants to make a mark on the world for good through your life. He wants to leave a legacy. I would encourage you, love and serve the church everywhere you go. God's kingdom moves forward through healthy relationships, in marriage and in friendship. My mom used to say this to me, Johnny, that's what she called me, Johnny, you want to have a friend? Yes. Be a friend. <laughs> that's good advice. Be a friend and have a friend. I hope you're making friends here. God wants to bless you through your work. Whatever you're called to do, whatever kind of work you're called and gifted for, do it with all your heart. God loves your work, wants to be present with you in your work. And women and men and girls and boys, you're all gifted by God and called to serve Jesus, his people, and his purpose. Let's make room for each other. Be lifelong learners. Open your homes to people in your hearts. Let's love and commit ourselves to helping a growing number of people love God, love people, and change the world. We want to close our services with worship and prayer, so we'd love the worship uh, folks to come on up while they're coming. I've been trying to give you tips the whole message, but I do. I will co concentrate it on three here at the end, things you could do to make this more part of your life. You could read Acts 18, 19 if you'd like, Romans 16, You'll see all the friends that Paul gathered. One of the great little things I've learned in the Bible is the longer Paul lived, the more friends and co-workers he had. That's a pretty cool thing. Pray. Why don't you ask God to give you all the love and power you need 
to live out his purpose for your life. You know, every time God's called Sue and I to do something more, it's challenged me. I've always thought, oh, no, the deep end of the pool again? Ah. And God says, I'm going to be with you, John, and it's going to pull out the best in you. The same is true for you. The same is true for you. God wants the best for you. He wants to pull the best out of you. And here's some three things to do. Open your home and your heart to others. Uh, now, I'm not ordering you to do a thing, and everybody has to have their own like comfort level here. But go to a park. Go to a coffee shop. Sue and I love meeting people out on our deck now. Do whatever works for you, but open your heart and your space to others. Do a great job at your work. It's so honored. Whether it's paycheck work or unpaid work, it so honors God. And then teach the story of Jesus everywhere you go to everyone you can. I want to pray for us. So those who are trained for prayer, would you come on up and be available to pray? Uh, I feel like God wants to do things in lots of areas today. I think he'd like to do things in marriages to strengthen them, unite them, help us move forward better together in our, our life with each other. Uh, work. Uh, maybe we don't need any help with our work. Uh, we can probably skip that, right? No. We need all kinds of help at work, right? God wants to bless you in your work. He wants to bless you and give you confidence to tell your story. And he wants you to open your heart to welcome. So we want to pray for all of those things. And then a few healing things. Somebody's got ankle trouble. It could be ligaments. could be arthritis. I'm going to pray for that. Somebody's got digestive issues. Someone's got, like, breathing challenges. I just think God wants to touch all that. And if you've struggled with fear like I have, he wants to touch you there. Lord, we thank you again for all the people that you've used in our lives to help us grow. Lord, we want to be those kind of people for each other and for people we haven't even met yet. Lord, we thank you that you have a large heart and it's open toward us and you're always leaning toward us. You're always going ahead of us. You're always protecting us. You're always on one side or the other encouraging us. You love speaking to us and leading us forward. Lord, help us Help us all to be able to listen and recognize your voice. Give us the courage to follow you. Uh, thank you for things you're even speaking to people today. That, yeah, you could do this. Why not think about this? Help us hear. Help us respond. Help us to love you and love others. This week, Lord, would you, would you bring someone into our mind or across our path that we could, we could love well? Meet us. Touch us as we worship now, we pray in Jesus' name.